I mean, the food was technically perfection. Like it was the most perfect food I've ever had. Um, the dishes that, you know, like a lot of times these chefs that have been around for an incredibly long time, they have the same dish that they've been making for 30 years and you're just kind of like, whatever, it's probably super played out or whatever. And man, oysters and pearls is one of the best things I've ever had ever. Like it was just so decadent and like perfect. And it was, I mean, I fucking loved it. Every single course, I was so fucking full, man. Like I could not physically put another ounce of food inside of my body. Yeah. It's just, it also goes with that thing that it's like, oh, fine dining, the food's so small, and you're never full. Like, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. I could have rolled the fuck out of there. This is Bangkok Podcast from a new location. We've never done this specific thing. This is soon going to be Pankong Podcast brings you between two malangas. That's right. Presented by the malangas. Presented... Oh, Between Two Malangas, Yeah, presented by Pankum Podcast. Or if we're following the Kush Hospitality model, oh, yeah. Pankum Podcast presented by Two Malangas. Whew. Man, I don't know how many more of those I got in me, right? <laughs> Another Kush by something. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, Pankum Podcast. Uh, we are recording in a little corner of Chef and 8th Grade Basketball MVP, Michael Beltran's home. Yeah. Uh, Don't forget, most improved volleyball player in the fifth grade. Most improved volleyball player in the fifth grade, and also, um, uh, right, you male won an acting award. Male actor of the year. Male actor of the year in the seventh grade for playing an Elvis and impersonating? Elvis impersonating Santa Claus. Right. I mean, that's that's. We're not going to talk about it now, but that deserves to an hour. Well, <laughs> I mean, I was a natural. I, I, I actually, you, because I, I was, be. well, because I was suited up in full Santa gear, Elvis impersonating Santa, Yeah, I actually played two roles, and that's what put me over the hump for winning Male Actor of the Year. That's wild. I know. That's crazy. It's crazy. I also, that year, won a um, an award for uh, storytelling during Halloween. Okay. Yeah. It was about a butcher that chopped up uh, of a person. Chopped up a person. Yeah, and ground them up and fed them to other people. It's supposed to be spooky. That was the beginning of your fascination with offcuts. <sighs> May have been. Yeah. I don't know. It's all coming back to me now, but this is all in middle school. This was the one school that accepted me and I could actually graduate from. Do you think that these like certificates and medals and shit still actually exist still somewhere? exist? Yeah. Knowing my mother, the fact that she still has like the communion, like the top you know, like the, the cake toppers that are like Communion cake topper shaped like a like a Bible or something. Okay, she still has that in the freezer. In the freezer, yeah. This is incredible. My my yeah, that's it's incredible. I don't know if in like the great loss of like some hurricane it was lost, but it yeah. was there my entire childhood. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, this again deserves its own episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my mother's an angel. She's uh, you've. Mentioned that many times. She should be a guest on this thing. Oh, man. No, no. Let's take, <laughs> let's take it easy. Slow down. There's not enough time for that. We don't need all of that everywhere. Um, so what we're here to talk about, all these things happened. Can I tell you something Go I'm ahead. fascinated by? Tell me, please. I had lunch with my four-year-old niece. 
mm-hmm. and she's just turning into quite the little human, right? She's yeah. just got all of her likes and dislikes. And uh, my sister got a pizza. I wasn't going to eat. I was just there with them to have lunch with them. My sister's having a salad. My one-year-old niece is just crying because she wants more avocado. And then my four-year-old niece is, like, hammering her away at this whole fucking pizza. Like, literally crushing the fucking pizza. But she has made a decision. This is what I find fascinating about kids. She has made this decision that as she eats the slice of pizza, she will only eat it three-quarters of the way, and she will stop. Each slice. Yeah. She will stop, like, the slice, and then there's still cheese... Yeah, and pizza sauce, and then the crust, she'll just stop. So it's not just discarded crust; it's discarded crust and the crust adjacent pizza. Right, and she and it's and it's the same stopping point for every slice. Okay, and I'm just like, well, can you tell me what's happening here? Why don't you want this? She was just like, it's not good, and I was like, but the rent, it's the same, and she was like, mm-mm. <laughs> I was just like, but she hammered away the whole pizza except for one slice. Of pizza, to which I ask her, why don't you want that slice? And she said, it's for my dad, but he's only allowed one slice. And I said, why is he only allowed one slice? She goes, she's he's fat. Oh, <laughs> man. He's big. <laughs> she whispered it like that, too. Yeah, and I was like, man. Did, is, this is the same niece that I met that one time? At yeah, the little Lottie, she's like firecracker. Oh, she, she pulled one of those on me too. Oh yeah, she told yeah. You, she'll tell so, you a little bigger. So I, I was I was picking up, um, you know, I was like you know messing around with her, and uh, I was picking up some of the rocks that you guys have at the you know base sure. of the tree, and I was pretending to eat them, and I was like, yeah, I eat rocks all the time. And she comes up to me, and she pats me on the belly, and she goes, "You eat a lot of rocks." <laughs> <laughs> what is what a legend at four. <laughs> She's just going to be such a problem. I swear, if she's anything like her fucking mom, where the world has their hands full. <laughs> We're fucked. So, so anyways, um, are we already on parting recommendations? Yeah, we're right there. Okay, cool. We're right there. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Uh, shout out to Monopolio. Yeah, shout out to... <laughs> and the ads. We did. We literally do a ten-minute episode. It's just got three ads and then parting recommendations yeah, yeah, yeah. are out. Actually, it's not a bad idea. Hey, listen, the contracts don't say anything about how long the episodes are. Right. I think we're like on our tenth version of the hundredth episode. Have we passed a hundred yet? We're almost there. So maybe for the hundredth, we just do a ten-minute episode. I think that's great. That's what everyone really wants. I mean, do they? I, I don't so. know. That's. I mean, I agree. That's what they should want. But um, <clears throat> so no, we're here. Without a guest, because we are talking about your recent gallivanting uh, in in Napa. That's such a strong word, gallivanting. I just threw it out there. It felt like it might be appropriate, but I barely know what happened over there. It's weird, I can't. I know, see I know. Well, because we put the drinks in the back. Should you know what? I think I, I do also think that the original table was better. Listen, this is new. This Between is two malangas, it's is true. New. It's true. I, well, the reason we have this table is because the other one I don't think had room for the mics and the drinks. That's a good point. Let's switch, guys. Just. Switch uh, tables? No, no. Switch oh, okay. to move the back. Move back. Agreed. Oh, yeah. This is better. This is good. Yeah. Look this at is that. Good. This wow. is very professional. I think Between, between Two Malangas has... Uh, really stepping our game up here. This isn't, actual, this isn't actually considered a set because we're not paying like a like a location fee. No, this is a set. <laughs> we don't have to pay a location fee. I own, we own the set. This is our set. Okay. 
You know, come on. This is, you want to call it a studio? Would you Would you feel better about that? Uh, studio PIG. <laughs> it's WPIG. Yeah. WPIG. Oh man, could you imagine? That's so good. Yeah, between two malangas on WPIG. Oh, this is good. Um, imagine we haven't even finished our, finished our first drink yet. <laughs> it's gonna be a long episode. This episode of Pancom Podcast is brought to you by The Barrel. This is the barbecue grill that, if you're watching this in video form, is in front of us. We're here with uh, Chef Danny Boza. Danny, tell us a little bit about what the genesis of this thing was. Where does The Barrel come from? You know, I, I, I was a chef. Well, I was a, you know, working for a civil engineering firm before that. And I really hated everything that I was doing at the time. So I've always had a passion for cooking. And then, you know, I, I decided one day to move to New York and everything took off from New York, Chicago, Hong Kong, L.A., you know, Colorado, and then to Hawaii and then back to Miami. And then I opened up my own spot in uh, Coral Gables, got sold the restaurant and moved on to the next big, bigger, better thing. Obviously, COVID hit, so we had our own passion project. It started because a, a, a friend, was now a, bit, a business partner, Diego Londonio, approached me to do a menu for his coffee shop. And I said, you know, let's go to Colombia. I got to see the tree. I got to, you know, feel it out, get a little inspiration. So I went out there and then, uh, you know, I tried some of the food when I got there and I was blown away by the flavor. I found out they were actually cooking with the actual coffee tree. And then I saw their South American style roaster and it was just really dinged up, beat up oil drum. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I can make something that's really cool. So myself and Diego put our heads together and... You know, it, it's a home run in my opinion. It's very sleek, very beautiful to look at. Um, it's very, very cool. It's a conversation starter. People see that in your yard and they want to talk about it. Yeah, definitely people see it. And again, we're not trying to take over anybody's yard. We're trying to a compliment, you know, making a compliment to it. So what you would do on your regular grill for something very quick, you might want to say on a weekend, I got more time and I want to chill out and, you know, use the barrel and, and create some beautiful flavors out of that with our hardwood lump charcoal that. Do you remember what some of the first things you did with it when you were maybe like prototyping it or you had like you had it close to final form? Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll keep it short. So one of the main things was is that our base was simply just the base. It was just a very plain base. And uh, in order to stop all the fat that was dripping and rendering, I would use sand around the side. But of course, you know, even some of the best chefs in the world make some of the greatest mistakes. So I would drop some of the food directly on the sand and there's no getting sand off food once it hits it. So we had to think of a different system. So now we created these two half wood systems at the base in which you can add liquid and have a grate on top, which pretty much sets this apart from any other, you know, grill, roaster, smoker, which, you know, the three-in-one combo is not really commonly found out there. Very cool. So if people want to learn more, if people want to buy this thing, how do they get more information about the barrel? I would say go to our Instagram page, you know, at barrel the BBQ. And, you know, you can go and see our link tree there, which has our YouTube channel, our order page, our information, our specs about the barrel. And it has a bunch of fun videos and very cool things that we've cooked out of it so far. Very cool. And once you're there, if you use promo code PANGON10, that's PANGON10, P-A-N-C-O-N, because I know a lot of people have trouble with this. We don't <laughs> speak Spanish. We've been called Pumpkin Podcast, the Panko Podcast. This is P-A-N-C-O-N10 for $100 off of the barrel. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thank you.
This episode of Pancom Podcast is also brought to you by Elite Impact Windows. Elite Impact Windows does exactly what it sounds like they do. They are purveyors of impact windows. That's the kind that, especially if you're in a hurricane-prone sort of area, you want so stuff doesn't come flying through your windows. Mike, you have impact windows on some of your restaurants. Listen, I heard a rumor. Tell me if this is true. Are all their products tested to go up to 185-mile-per-hour wind pressures? That is how their products are tested. That's All their products are tested to meet that. I don't know. I've never been out in 185-mile-per-hour wind. But if I were, I think I might want to wear some of these windows as like a suit. I feel safer already just thinking about if I was walking around in that kind of wind and I was wrapped around with their just windows just wrapped around me, I'd yeah. feel like a much safer person. Yeah, you should put them on your caddy. I, mm, You know, maybe maybe not. But I, And I also heard that they meet all the requirements of Miami-Dade County. They do meet all the requirements of Miami-Dade County. Fuck me, that's amazing. EliteImpactGlass.com or on Facebook, Elite Impact Windows, Instagram, Elite Impact Glass. They are proud partners with Eco Windows, CGI, and Windor. One of the things I really appreciate about them and their company is that all their products are made locally here in South Florida. And fuck me, that's amazing. Look at this. They are all made here in South Florida. Did you do your research? Man, man? I did not do the research. <laughs> Somebody didn't show up ready. They have competitive pricing with Totally 0% financing available. I mean, I don't know. If you have credit like mine, you might not get 0% financing, but <laughs> it may be an option. It's possible that that's an option for you, 0% financing. I don't know exactly how that works. Whatever the case, if you go on the website, you ask for a quote, and you mention Bang Kong Podcast, you will get 10% off of your installation. And I don't know if you guys have ever installed Windows before, but 10% off of window installation, that's a good fucking deal. And you know what? You got it here first on Pancom Podcast. That's right. Mention Pancom Podcast. Again, it's EliteImpactGlass.com or Elite Impact Windows on Facebook, Elite Impact Glass on Instagram. By the way, you mentioned restaurants. They do do they, com- do, they, they do do, they do, do. <laughs> commercial properties. So whether it's for your home or your business, if do, you need a lead impact do, glass do, to put, do, uh, you know, all that do do um, and do the things that they do do so well, yeah. uh, you wanna you wanna get in and on that. Also, this company very woke, very woke. They also offer solar power systems with backup batteries and custom generators for your home. You know why? Because they're woke. I, I don't know if that's a positive thing these days to be woke, but what? you know, but it's it's nice. I mean, sounds you know, good. It sounds good to me that there's solar power involved. I'm into it. Generators, solar power, impact glass. Uh, if you go to their website, they got a video that shows off like a home that has all of that stuff going on at one time, which is pretty wild. That's um, a lot of panels, a lot of glass, a lot of things. Pretty soon, we are going to get our hands on a, uh, at least one pane of impact glass. I'm ready. And we're going to try to break it. I'm ready. I don't know what the procedure will be, uh, <laughs> but, our, but Mike's breath will have a blast <laughs> of freshness. From that banaka you just heard. I like the I like this a banaka, the podcast. You can a really banaka blast at last. Fast blast banaka. I just want everybody to know, uh, and apologies to Elite Impact Glass, because uh, this uh, I don't want this to sound like an ad for banaka, but in the time that we've been sitting here to record this ad, Mike has blasted himself with banaka like five times. Twice. Kicks I don't out. know, man. Twice. I don't know. Come on. Twice. Elite Impact Glass. Thanks to our sponsor. Thanks. Go, go get your windows from Go home. go get go get those windows. Uh, no, so uh, we've talked in other episodes uh, to varying degrees about the fact that you were going to go to Napa to do a demo slash presentation a seminar thing, whatever. 
at the Culinary Institute of America's, was it Worlds of Flavor? Yeah. Uh, which is an uh, annual conference, you know, that they do there. So I guess that's all the setup I'll give you. Let's yeah, set, set, our, set it up again because maybe somebody's catching this for the first time. Like, what was it? And then tell us how it went. Well, just I thought the seminar kind of sucked, but we'll get into why. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm just really, like, really lighting this up, huh? Yeah. Um, Worlds of Flavor, usually they do chefs from all around the world. This one, obviously, because of COVID, they just did chefs from around the country. And basically, you do a demo and you talk to a, a, you know, a stadium full of people, and then it's also streamed. So, you know, um, I did two different ones, and I did one about, you know, what it's going to be like, the running a restaurant and how that may change like past, present and future, which I guess was their way of asking like how COVID fucked you and how you plan to fix it. Yeah. And then the other one was reinterpreting Peruvian and Cuban flavors through fine dining or dining in general, which that one was incredibly enjoyable because I did it with my good friend Diego and he's just awesome. Diego Oca. Diego Oca. So... Um, it was cool. I, I went with, um, my chef de cuisine, Manny, which I love the opportunity to take people out of the office and like do something cool. So that was cool. We traveled to San Francisco and then we dealt with two hours of traffic to get to Napa, which was absolutely, I felt like I was on the 836 like the whole time. Stretful. Um, and you know, we got there like a day early and I don't know, like, the whole thing was, like, you were supposed to go, and you send them a list, and you, like, prep there. Um, but I was really, like, kind of, like, let down, because I'm thinking, like, the Culinary Institute of America, of America has, like, you know, it's the best culinary school in the country. Maybe they're going to have, like, some great produce there in California, and, like, it's just a bunch of commodity shit that they got us. Luckily enough, like, they couldn't find Mame. They can't source foie because it's illegal, so I technically had to, like, smuggle it in. Um Sorry, I apologize. And then, um, you know, we sent a lot of our own shit because they couldn't get it for us. So we got it and then we had to overnight it and that was kind of a mission. But yeah, we get there and um, we kind of stuck out like sore thumbs, I feel. You know, it was like a very, I mean, I haven't been in school in like such a long time. And to be put back in like that school setting was like kind of strange. Did you stick out because so many of the other people were connected to the school? Like, were there not other, you know, chefs? Yeah, like, they had, like, chefs and, like, chefs, like, teachers from the school, like, responsible for, like, chefs and prep. But we went, like, totally prepped up because I'm not going to show up to an event that's half, is across the country and be like, I'm going to prep it all there. Fuck that. No thanks. Yeah. But anyways, I'm going to start the first day. The first day we had a reservation at the French Laundry, which was a big deal. Um... I would say in my career, there's like a few restaurants that I'm like, like a bucket list thing. You know, Alinea was one I had the opportunity to eat there. French Laundry was definitely one that I never thought I would actually be able to do only because it's not like I travel to Napa a lot because I'm not like a wine drinker. And, um, I mean, it's not fucking cheap, yeah. you know? I mean, it, it's, it, it was and is the most expensive dinner I've ever had in my life. Yeah. So Manny's obviously super pumped. Manny worked at the surf club and worked for Thomas Keller. And, you know, he was, he never actually ate in the laundry, but he worked within that system for a year and a half. So he was pumped. Our plane was delayed. So I was stressed. 
And um, how much of a delay are we talking? Almost two hours. Okay. But because I knew that there was a chance of this, I got a very early flight. Um, but then, because I have a tendency of not liking flying, you know, I always have like a drink before I get on the plane. But since it was delayed for two hours, I had a few drinks. Mm. So, you know, I slept. But it was still like we got there and then I'm like, you know, we're still early. But then it was like two hours of traffic. So we're like sprinting, you know, and then we finally get to the hotel and like literally we have like 30 minutes to get dressed. And we're like, we get in an Uber and we go to the French Laundry. And, you know, you I have like the French Laundry books and the whole thing and... uh you, it's nothing like it unless you're like there. It's just like this quaint little home that's obviously got a ten million dollar kitchen attached to it, and it is like everything that you could think of or dream of. It is exactly that. And I would say if, if we ate and we drank so much, you know, um, they were super nice to us. You know, they sent us the wine pairing. Because neither one of us are really wine drinkers. They knew that. Um, but they sent us the psalm and they did the whole wine pairing. And they, I mean, the food was technically perfection. Like, it was the most perfect food I've ever had. Um, the dishes that, you know, like, a lot of times these chefs that have been around for an incredibly long time they have the same dish that they've been making for 30 years and you're just kind of like, whatever, it's probably super played out or whatever. And Man, oysters and pearls is one of the best things I've ever had, ever. Like, it was just so decadent and, like, perfect and it was, I mean, I fucking loved it. Every single course, I was so fucking full, man. Like, I could not physically put another ounce of food inside of my body. Yeah. It's just, it also goes with that thing that it's like, oh, fine dining, the food's so small, and you're never full. Like, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. I could have rolled the fuck out of there, you know? And obviously with the wine and, you know, like, the dessert course was incredible. When we got there, they had us, like, they, they gave us gifts, you know, like, signed books by Thomas Keller with, like, notes and all kinds of, like, tchotchkes and shit. I mean, it was, like, amazing. Yeah, the full thing. Full fucking thing. Incredible. You know, and then afterwards, they give us, like, a tour of the property, and it's, like, incredibly impressive how organized and how, like, I mean, it's just, like, 30 years of just, you know, being one of the best restaurants in the world. And refining it over... Over 30 years or 25 years, however long they've been there. And, you know, the, the staff was super nice and sweet, and they knew so much about us and Ariad, and they were just, like, very, like... Um, supportive of like what we do and that felt great you know I mean we're talking about one of the best restaurants in the world and they're just like yeah we love what you guys do I'm like do the fuck you know what the fuck we do (laughs) fuck out of here and we're you know the maitre d' is also from Miami Um, she was amazing Um, Manny actually had worked with her previously and that was like great it was just like cool it felt very comfortable yeah, which is like my thing is like a lot of times you go to these fine dining restaurants and you feel super out of place and it's like a little stuffy. And even though the room was like older, like you felt it older, um, no pretense, no stuffiness. Uh, so Chef Manny from the surf club, because there's two Manny's here. Okay. He was actually in that, but at the same time and I was texting with him and um, 
you know, I was like, oh, let's meet up for a drink. And he's like, oh, I'm actually at dinner with Chef Thomas. I can't go. And I'm like, I'm sorry. My bad. Is that how he said it? Yeah, you know, we're at dinner with Thomas. I'm like, okay. All right. <laughs> but it's incredible to me that Thomas Keller has, like, some of the best taste in music I've ever heard in my life. Okay. What was he playing? I mean, it's just everything from, like, Outkast to, like, um, I don't know, Muddy Waters. Like, it's, it's the same thing at the Surf Club, actually. The music is very similar. It's just like... So well-rounded. And I, I even asked him, like, who picks the music for this place? And it's like, Thomas Keller. I'm like, so, it's amazing. You know, like, small details like that. Yeah, yeah. Their thing completely is all details. It's a small detail, but it's, it's one of those details, I think more so than a lot of other things, that when you get it wrong, people notice. When the music is obnoxious. When yeah, like, every it. corner of Miami, you're playing fucking house trance fucking garbage Spotify radio thing, but nobody likes it. Yeah, it's I don't know why it happens, but everybody everybody talks about how awful it is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's really bad. Like I, I don't know whether there's any reason not to name names here, but the for me, like the prime example of this in Miami, and it's not fine dining or whatever, but it's Doctor uh, Limon. I've never been there. It's it's not bad. It's like it's the, sure. the the food is the food is good. You know, it's it's solid Peruvian, you know, local chain, mm-hmm. and it's nonstop diggy diggy, non the wall to wall diggy diggy, and it's obnoxious. It's like it's the main reason that I haven't been there in at least a couple of years. Right, but it's one of those details that when you get it right, maybe people don't leave talking about how great the music was, but when you get it wrong, it affects everything. Right. I mean, their thing is like completely detail oriented, and it's it was impressive to see because you know area because of like the steps that we've taken to refine it and do a thing and try to really elevate. You know, we I try to make sure that we concentrate on details, but like their details are just so on on another planet. So, and not to get too bogged down in in the French laundry, um, but. Yeah, they're on another planet. Sure. But did you come away from that once? I mean, I, I imagine you want to let yourself enjoy it in the moment. But after having time to process it, sure. were there things that you thought, okay, we're not going to be on that planet tomorrow, but here are these isolated things that that opened my eyes to, like, adjustments that can be made? Yeah, I mean, I think Ariad is kind of tough because of, like, the room itself. Okay. You know, I think that, that they're built for it. They can do it because they're built for it. Um, I think that we do a good job at details, and I just don't think that... You're also talking about a place that it's, it's $600 per person to eat at. Of course. Yeah. So, like, the Which amount affects of, everything. For sure. The amount of money that you can spend on details. Even the intangible details, like like the fact that they knew all that shit. Right. Somebody got paid to spend time researching areas. For sure. You know, and that's great. And, I, you know, it's... Those are things to use as benchmarks and as goals for us. Um, But I think on a much smaller scale, we do we do a solid job. It's hard to like take away something and say I want to be just like that because it's unachievable. You're just going to set yourself up for failure and you're just going to be depressed. And that's why I was saying like, did you find little little pockets of like, oh, you know what that that little touch is actually maybe doable? Mm -hmm. I think that we do. We already do some of those touches. Yeah, within our like within what we can do. Yeah, you know. And I'm proud of that. Um, do I think that one day we could do more or we can create a space to do more? Yes. 
Um, do I think that day is today? No, <laughs> I do not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think also as a business owner, you got to be realistic. Right. So I think it was just more impressive to experience it. And like a lot of times you go and you just hear so much of like, you know, that place probably falling off. It's falling off or whatever. It's been the food is the same or whatever. And the food was impeccable. The service was impeccable. The, like I have not one bad thing, like not one bad thing to say about the entire experience. If anything, I walked away saying, I'm so happy that this is something I wanted to do my whole career and I finally got to do it and I can say that I did it and like I, I would probably do it again. And yeah, so it lived up to 100%. You know, and looking like what, like, I mean, their kitchen is bigger than my whole restaurant. It's fucking inc- like the most incredible kitchen setup I've ever seen. Wild. It's crazy. So that was amazing. Um, I slept like a child. And then the next day we had to go uh, to the school and um, then we had to start like prepping or whatever. But we had, like I said, we had already done all the prep. We definitely stuck out like sore thumbs there. Just Mm -hmm. was like a little weird. Um, But, you know, it was cool. Then we went to a farmer's market and I actually got all the ingredients to like make these dishes nice. And whatever, you know, we, uh, we met up with Diego. Um... Diego Oka. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did the whole, like, prep day thing. We didn't really have to prep much. And then we actually ended up having, di- like, I had dinner twice before I actually had to do anything. Really. You know, because we, like, we had done all the prep already. Then we went to a restaurant called Press. Okay. You heard of this place? No. Cool. Does it have an E at the end? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I think it's double S. But anyways, they, um, <coughs> this place was also incredibly impressive. In the middle of Sonoma County, just kind of like you have to drive in the middle of fucking nowhere. And Phil Tessier is the chef there, which he was uh, the guy who wrote Chasing Bocuse, was Thomas Keller's head chef of the Bocuse d'Or team. Okay. And the meal was phenomenal also. Yeah. Their note, this is very interesting, that I didn't know like people really take time to go into like old vintages of Napa Valley wine, which I didn't know that this was, this like even mattered. Like I said, I'm not a wine guy. So, um, they specialize in that. So they have wines that are like 40 or 50 grand per bottle. Wow. Right. So we had a great meal there. Um, probably the best nudie I've ever had. Uh, some of the, I mean, overall, one of the better meals I've had in my life for sure. And then we had dinner with Diego, um, me, Manny, and then Alex, which used to work with me at the Cypress Room, he is now the GM at Bouchon in Napa Valley. So we got to reconnect and, you know, we hung out and it was a great time. Finally, the following day is when we got to actual, like, we had to do, like, a seminar and, like, stuff. So for, for context, there's the, the things that you're doing at this event, but talk a little bit about what the Worlds of Flavor thing is in general. I'm not sure that I... Totally no. I'm not totally sure I grasp it either after doing it. Okay, great. Yeah. But to, to the best of your ability, what what is the broader thing you're a part of? Is this is it for culinary school students? Well, this is where I have a big riff. And this is where, like, they asked me if I would return next year, and I said probably not. Okay, great. Because in my mind, I'm going to a school, and I would love to talk to kids. I want to talk to young – I want to talk to 20-year-olds, 24-year-olds, 25-year-olds, whatever <clears> – <throat> People that want to cook, people that want to find purpose within food. And I felt, I saw myself 
sitting in this stadium, basically staring at a bunch of like middle-aged, overweight white guys. And it was all like a bunch of corporate people that I have like very little in common with. And when you say corporate, you mean like... Dull. But were they they chefs by and large? Yeah. Okay. I mean, sure. Just because for the person who's not in the industry, corporate... They may not like. For, I'm, I'm not. When right. I say corporate, I mean like Dole, Nabisco, Nespresso, Google was there, okay. but you know, yeah, like, and that was like small, independent. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I felt like that was a little bit of a disconnect for me. So I think, and, that, and probably for them too. Like, oh yeah, to hear me talk about some of the things that I care about. Sure. You know. Yeah. And um, so I, f- I found that a little bit weird, and it was. Uh, I think the first one it was a little harder for me to like find a groove because I wasn't. I I think the purpose of what I why I wanted to do it and why I was doing it, um, they just weren't there. They weren't like connected. Yeah. And then equally, like when you go into like their marketplaces, kind of like when they have just like there's a bunch of stalls with like food and people are serving like bites and stuff. You just have like these really weird sponsorships that are big corporations that have nothing to do with like the foundation of what food really means or how, like what makes it special. Yeah. I'm just going to use Dole again because they were giving out like cups of Dole fruit cocktail. I imagine they were a sponsor or something. Sure. They were. Um, I don't know. I just felt, I like felt super disconnected from that, but I was like, I did have a couple of connections with like younger kids and students because like it was streaming all over the school. And it did stream or whatever, and the you know they came up to me and they enjoyed it. And even some of the, like the older like corporate people, yeah, seemed to like enjoy what I said. To be fair, you never know who it's going to touch, right? So sure, um, I just I, I had a different ambition for why I wanted to do it, and then when I actually got there, like what I was presented with was just like very different, you know. Yeah, not saying that I didn't I didn't enjoy the experience or I didn't like having that experience in my life because I think it's still important for like my growth as a human, uh, but it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So, you know, the the first one, the first seminar I, we did with Diego, Diego, he says that he's a terrible talker, but he's like very, he captures an audience super well because he's like very passionate about food and like reinterpreting Peruvian and like finessing Peruvian. So I, I actually sat in the audience and watched him talk and he was great. Um, really my favorite thing and me and Manny the day before, like, you know, we need to find like a nice plate cause you know, we're like going to do this and it's got to look nice or whatever. And Diego did their like famous causa that they do at Lamar. And he's, and he's getting into the uh, part that he's going to start plating it. And he's like, you know, I went, uh, looking for a plate and I couldn't find one. So I went down to the river and I found this rock and I cleaned it and we're going to plate on the rock. And I was like, man, if there's nothing more Diego Oka than that whole thing right there. And it was beautiful. Like what he played, it looked fucking gorgeous. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, the man knows what the fuck he's doing, you know? So <laughs> he just does. So, you know, we did our monkfish and Sandio dish, which I think is very cool. I thought it looked good. You gotta find you gotta find your equivalent there. I just found the right plate. Yeah, <laughs> I can't plate that on a rock. I couldn't find the right plate, so I found this hubcap. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the second seminar I did was I, I feel terrible because I forget the other lady's name. She was like 
very cool older lady that cooked Italian food that her name escapes me right now. But I also did it with Christina Martinez. You know, the episode on Chef's Table from South Philly Barbacoa? I think so. Right. She was incredible to watch. So I went first, the other lady second, and then Christina was third. And then, like, she was just so passionate. Like, she just, she made the tortillas. She had this old mortar and pestle when they grind the corn to make the actual, like, masa. She did it, like, old school. Like, she laid out, you know, uh, like a rug like this one and, like, was on her knees and, like, how they've done it for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Incredible to watch. But they give us a time limit, right? I'm, like, super captured by her talk. Like, I'm just, like, I'm sitting in the front row. Like, I'm about to cry. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and then there's, like, well, you know, time's running short. I was, like, don't you dare cut this fucking lady off. What the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> and I told them after. I was, like, I would have given this lady all of my time. I would have listened to her talk for two hours. She was amazing. You know, so there was that. Um, and then that was it. We were done. You know, two two talks. <coughs> now, you, now, you did what, though? For the person who's watching this who doesn't know what the fuck you did, what, what, did you, what was your thing? In what sense? You give your talk, what was your talk? There was Diego with his rock. Or with well, then my, my talk was, you know, reinterpreting Cuban flavor to fine dining. Right, okay. And it's like what we talk about on the show all the time. Right, it's like we were the children of the lost. We live uh, within a culture that has been kind of like eviscerated from growth. Right, like progress is not a thing. Um, there is no food in our country, and us as Cuban Americans, we've had an opportunity to grow, progress, create, um, keep something alive, and that's what I talked about. You know, I talked about um, the fact that, you know, I worked so hard because of the opportunities that have been given to me by my grandparents and then by and large by being in this country. And um, that's really the purpose. That is my purpose. And, you know, I implore anyone out there that if you're working with food to find a purpose, don't just like, I want to make X amount of dollars and I want to work in this kind of place. Like, I don't know, have some kind of fucking reason. You know, so that was the first one. The second one, obviously, I talked a lot about COVID and really in that in that process of like being a business owner is like, where do you um, first like, you know, I feel like I doubled down and invested more into the community. And then by that part, invested more into my employees and like how you handle employees and how you nurture their growth and how you do all those things. And like, because there's such an interesting dynamic of, like, age. You know, and I was talking a lot about that. Uh, at, like, that that second seminar, I was a little confused by what they were actually going after. Because then there was also, like, a moderator. But, like, we didn't meet the moderator until, like, the night before. They didn't really, like, ask any questions. Um, During the thing, they didn't ask questions? No. Okay. So it was basically just like us talking and riffing. And especially in that one, there isn't like a direct thing. The first one, it's like, 
reimagining Cuban and Peruvian flavors through a certain type of dining. That's pretty specific. Yeah. Second one was like, you know, how are things going to change or past, present, and future? It's just very vague. So it was also presented by Kikoman, and I don't use soy sauce. And I was like, Kikoman, thanks. You ever seen that uh, Kikoman cartoon that was a little viral when we were in high school? No. All right. We're going to pause here. I'll insert it in the video. Oh, great. saw the Kiko Man cartoon, maybe. Apologies to whoever owns, I don't know. The it was really good, right? I mean, I think that that's some top quality work I think we can work with. Show me, show you Kiko Man. Kiko Punch. Kiko Man! Kiko Man! I think it was great. I think when you're, uh, next time you're sparring, when you punch somebody, you should just yell, Kiko Punch! <laughs> um, I think one of the most... Uh, Influential things that happened to me when I was in Napa. There's a, a kid that uh, I connected with, like probably almost a year ago. Cuban kid. Uh, he's been well. He was in Miami for the last like ten years or whatever. Not ten years, but his family moved here ten years ago. He's a sous chef at Single Thread, which is probably one of the better dining experiences in the country right now. A three star Michelin place in Healdsburg which is like an hour and a half away. So I, I connected with him. I was trying to get like a reservation and it's a very small room and I was, you know, I wasn't going to like push it off. So he was like, whatever. But he was like, you know, why don't you just come and like hang out for like the day? So there was a day that we didn't have to do anything until six. So I told Manny like, you, you go work. I'm going to go do this. And um, I went and I spent the day with them and it was like very, like very cool. First of all, they were incredibly inviting. Um, just a great group of people. Their operation was incredibly impressive. They have like a full farm just for them. Like I, we walked the farm and I have 
I pulled produce out of the ground and off of <clears> trees <throat> that I had never actually had in my life. And it was like delicious. And from there they have the restaurant. And then above the restaurant, they have like a little inn that's got like, I think six rooms. And then above that, they have like a small little like roof area where they do like snacks and like cocktails. Yeah. But it, to me, it was like how another one, just the attention to detail, the thought process for like the entire thing, the their welcoming kind of like personality when it came to community like hey you know like we know you're from miami we have like a connection we know that you cook we support you you support us like let's just talk about food and like get to know each other and like help each other get better and i i it was incredible and you know like whatever i woke up at the fucking crack of dawn to drive an hour and a half away to just really just hang out with these people all day and it was like really really great um you know sadly i couldn't eat there but like i would go back to eat there just just there i mean probably other places but yeah. just you know and the way that they cook and the style of food that they do and their level of hospitality for their guests and some of the things that they explained to me also is just like very different for fine dining and it was like the attention to detail in the room and like how every single thing in the room has a purpose or a story behind it um from the artwork to like how many pieces of wood there are in certain parts of the restaurant and why there's only that many pieces of wood and like where the wood is from it's like blew my mind yeah blew my mind so um i also found it like very impressive that osmel which is the guy that uh, his family moved to miami a cuban kid only been in the country for 10 years only been cooking for six years he's a sous chef and single thread and he's crushing it which i thought was amazing nice yeah um so a lot of Miami connection in Napa Valley. Yeah. Which I found very awesome. Cool. You know, so that was, I mean, it was all good. Yeah. And then I came back to Miami. So and you've touched on some of this, but I don't know how much of this is necessarily already answered. In the past on the podcast, the subject of culinary schools broadly has come up. Yeah. So talk about that experience from that perspective, like coming from where you come from on, you know, how you think of, and your perspective on culinary schools is not unique. A lot of people you've made comments to on the podcast who are in sure. restaurants have, have agreed with them. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess talk about it from that perspective, from the perspective of like, this is a culinary school. Right. What are they doing? And I guess I'm also curious about like, it sounds like the thing you were there for could have conceivably been done outside the context of the school. Right. It could have been done outside the context of that seminar. Like I could, you know, like you can go talk to a group of kids and like. Right. Like, like you could create your own seminar, I guess. Sure. Um, and, and it's interesting to me in part because I like the idea of <clears throat> in general taking these things that like these big institutions do. Mm-hmm. And finding ways to do them better. Yeah. Uh, well, like, I, I'm very fascinated by uh, Peter Santa Maria. His wife is a <coughs> teacher for a high school culinary school program. High school oh, I didn't culinary know. program. Yeah. So, 
you know, like she's asked for me to like be involved in however I could. And just like one small thing I gave her an idea for, apparently she told me it went like super well and like the kids loved it. And it was like very, it was a lot of fun and they enjoyed it. And I was like, you know, that's great. Yeah. Basically it was like, she was teaching them how to cook eggs and I was like, cool. So now take the egg and now make a sandwich with it and do a thing. Like who's making like the best fucking sandwich. And she was like, they had the best time. And I'm like, that's great. I'm sad I wasn't there because I love breakfast sandwiches. So, you know, shit like that. Just, I mean, those kids are fucking 16 years old, you know. But I think in the context of the school, I also think that from the time period, like, I I was young and I went to a culinary school program. And a lot of other people that are around my age, I think, I think the herd is kind of thinned out a lot. I don't think there's as many culinary schools because... The original thing of just trying to fucking get as much money as they could that Floyd didn't totally work, you know? So I probably think that the Culinary Institute of America is probably doing a fine job, but I still think that the whole idea of a culinary school is a little weird just because like you're, you're never going to learn as much as you learn when you're on the job, you know? And the, the difference between like our job and a lot of other jobs is like, you need to like to have that like hands-on experience. Like you, it, you can't just butcher a chicken. You don't know how to butcher a chicken from reading a book. Yeah. You know, you don't know how to break down a side of beef or like a whole hog or whatever. You don't know how to probably skim a stock without actually like physically doing it. Yeah. One of the things that I found uh, interesting from your description of it and certain other people's, because my experience is with a, with a journalism school. Is that I and and maybe I've gotten the wrong impression, but the impression I get is that people go through culinary school thinking the whole time that, oh, yeah. that they can just mm-hmm. learn it. For me, being in journalism school, I I wouldn't do journalism school again if I had. I, I would have skipped college altogether. Hindsight being twenty twenty. Sure, same. But when I was in it, a thing that I thought was kind of interestingly different was. As soon as you're dealing with journalism faculty, they're telling you, like, when you graduate, nobody's going to give a fuck what your grades were. And you need to learn by doing this. And what makes... And and every journalism program kind of sells itself by, like, we have the resources to have you do it, right? So, like, the University of Missouri owned the local NBC affiliate Mm. and the the local NPR affiliate and one of the local papers. So the curriculum was like, you're actually doing it. Well, I think culinary school tries to pitch that. <clears throat> okay. You know, they're like, well, we have a, we have a, we have a cafe. Right. But it's cool. not quite the same. We have a cafe. You could cook for cheap. Yeah. And we're going to sell it. You can get that real restaurant experience. Get the fuck out of here. We have like a lounge. You can cook there. You can get the experience. Fuck you, man. That is yeah. not the fuck I'm talking about. You know, like, Nothing is ever going to train you for that. Fucking, I got to break down three cases of chicken. We're going into a Friday night service. We have 300 on the books. And, you know, my chef is nuts. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. nothing is, nothing trains you for that unless you did it. And hindsight is twenty twenty. If I would have, if I could have gone back and, you know, I think I made a lot of good connections and moments in that time. But, I mean, I would have just fucking <coughs> fucked off and go worked at a three-star Michelin restaurant and, made nothing for money, but made money and not owed money. Right. Um, which is really the foundation, right? Because, like, we're in a craft. Yeah. No, it's a similar I, thing for me. Like, and I, I would say that writing writing is very similar. If I had to do over again, I, I mean, again, I'd say 2020. I always feel badly when I say this because my parents 
Yeah. Basically got me through. So it's like, I, I feel like I'm... My parents didn't get me through. I paid for it. Yeah, but I feel like I'm shitting all over so much of what they did. But it was also... And this is a little... This is very different from restaurants. Maybe not, but... I also went to school from 0, uh, 05 to 09. So like right at that time where the internet was changing everything. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the technical stuff that you were learning... It's like by the time I, the things that were relevant by, by oh, my freshman year, by the time I graduated were fucking irrelevant. Obsolete. Exactly. So. MySpace. But if, if I had known then what I know now, it would have been like, listen, mom, dad, like, just hook me up with a computer and a camera and some microphones and I'll just go out and do shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Of course. You know, and I, I, I wonder often like if my, I would have handled life differently, what would happen, what would have happened. Um, and I still think that, I think the difference is that when you have kids that are going to the Culinary Institute of America, like they know they want to cook. I'm sure not all of them make it. But it's different when you have kids that go to like Juan Robales Culinary School of the Palmetto. You know, I'm just like throwing a fucking Of name the out. Palmetto. Yeah, I'm just throwing a fucking name out there. Like yeah. some ratchet ass school that's in a strip mall that's like, you know, I think their dedication level is different. And I also feel like a lot of times I think culinary school counselors or whatever, they set you up for failure because, and I, I hope that it's different now. I don't know, but they're like, yeah, you're going to get out and you're going to be a sous chef. Fuck out of here, man. You're going to get out and you're going to fucking peel potatoes because yeah. you don't know. I mean, you've never, you've never worked a line before, man, never worked prep shit before. You never like put away a produce order or clean to walk in or clean to fryer. That's the real one. And that's what blows my mind every time that I hear you and certain other people talk about what culinary school does and doesn't give you. Because for me, I mean, really to their credit, to the extent that it was possible at that time where everything was changing, like I really did get other places. And when I was asked, like, have you ever, you know, edited copy? Do you know AP style? Do you know this? Do you like, yeah, I was fucking doing all that, you know? And it was going out, you know, in a paper that we were selling to a city, you know. Sure. Uh, so it kind of blows my mind that... A, that a I mean, that's a much that's a much better representation of setting you up for success. Right. No, no. Really, I think the, the when I say that I would not do it over again, I really just mean because of the era that I happen to have been born into. Right, because of the technology aspect. Right. I mean, we, we spent an entire semester learning how to make audio slideshows, which was a thing for like six months. Now you do it on your phone. Now you do. I mean, now I mean, never, fuck that. Like, who who watches an audio <laughs> slideshow? Right. So, uh, so it's really just that. But I mean, they were they really there really was a focus on on that. And in schools that didn't have those resources, they were beating you over the head with like, you need to get a fucking internship. If you're yeah. if you're you know if you have a job like at a fucking restaurant in the summer, you're wasting your time. You know, something Chef Manny does. My Chef Manny at area. Which I found fascinating. It was actually a pretty good way to weed the people out that didn't really weren't about it. Um, and a lot of the more like kind of like cleaner cut younger kids that say they want to be a chef and whatever. Uh, he'll make them like, you know, they want to stage and they really want to be part of the team or uh, he'll make them stage and then I'll be like, okay, clean the fryer. Right. And they'll see how they react. Well, I mean, and it's a dual thing, right? Because you'll see how they react, but also you can't oversee people cleaning the fryer if you don't know how to clean the fucking fryer. Right. It's like, but it's also like you need to be willing to 
do the hard jobs. Right. Not just the jobs that look fun. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, I tell people too, like, what about working brunch? Oh, no, I don't know. I'm going to find that. Income. So am I. I worked brunch for four years, every Saturday and Sunday at area. And not only that, but when the guy under you doesn't show up at brunch. You got to work brunch. Right. Right. You know how to cook an egg. You know how to work a busy egg station. Like, I don't know. People talk about that. Like, Grant Ackett's worked at a fucking diner when he was a kid. You know? He flipped eggs. You're not, you're not above that. It's actually like the purest form of cooking. So, I don't know. Like, it's just, uh, I feel like it's kind of lost on people. You know, the, and I think culinary school in a way sets you up for failure in that. Because it's like a very perfect environment. And like oftentimes kitchens are not perfect environments. And I mean that from like the equipment's not going to be the best. The things aren't going to be the best. Like maybe you're using old tools or you don't have the newest circulator that's out there. You don't have all the chemicals in the world. You don't have all brand, brand new ISIs. You don't have, yeah, it's tough. Oh, it's like anything else. You know, I, uh, I talk shit to the area team now all the time. Like, they got a good, like, they got a, I mean, the kitchen's not perfect, but it's a lot nicer than when I started it. Yeah. You know, like, I bought all new equipment. It's, you know, I redid the kitchen that they work in because I want them to work in a better environment. I want them to have, like, a better situation than I did when I was just there behind the stick every single day. So, I mean, we're going to go through a full remodel so we can have a better kitchen. Right. You know, so I don't know. It, it's a, it's, it's interesting. I really hope that maybe the the thing has changed. And honestly, like every time I have this conversation with people, they're just like, "Well, why don't you do it?" I'm like, "I don't want to fucking do it. I don't want to be a fucking teacher. Get the fuck out of here." It's right. Not, not what I would set out in the world to do. <laughs> you know. But there's but there's ways to participate in it. Like without being a t- so, for example, in a purely hypothetical thing. If somebody was making an effort to create some kind of a educational or mentorship or whatever kind of program, I'm not saying that this is necessarily what you would do, but those things always have, you know, their directors and their advisory boards. I mean, you could be in a situation where on a much smaller scale, like with this, uh, with uh, uh, Peter's wife, you were asked for feedback. I mean, those that kind of a role is important, too. Where somebody is just there as a sounding board sure. for the people who are actually implementing and executing some of these things. Right. So kind of along the same lines, and this is the last place that I want to go just to kind of round out the Mike went to Napa thing. But sure. that was the question weekend, of... Weekend in Napa. Right, weekend in Napa. Um, Napa is obviously a, a wine and food destination. It's a, it's a billionaire's playground is what it billionaire's is. Billionaire's playground. I mean, but not exclusively. I mean, we all know people who are not billionaires who've honeymoon there or vacation there. I mean, sure. What I mean is, like, they they've really like built something for like the super rich there for like right. to be super posh, right? And you know, they own things, and it's like, I, I mean, the money that's spent there is a lot. But you can save up and go and splurge sure. once in a right. lifetime. Whatever. Yes, absolutely. I'm just saying, like, for the people that like frequent there, like, right. I remember when we were eating, Manny and I were eating at the laundry. There was a table behind him. And I, I was fascinated by, like, their conversation. And they loved the food, and they were, like, big foodies. But just, like, hearing them talk, like, what they do is they eat at the finest restaurants in the world. Yeah. You know, when I when we ate at Mugaritz, they did this, that, or the next. And, like, when we were, oh, you know, last month when we were at Alinea, and it was like this. And I'm just like, oh, these motherfuckers eat. You know, I mean, you're talking about places that are five, $600 a person any day. Yeah. You know? So, and, you know, like, this was, like, their... 
20th time at the laundry. It's just one of those things that I'm just like, it fascinates me. But also, like, there's a market for it. Yeah. So, Napa, obviously, uh, a food and wine destination. Yeah. For all kinds of, you know, whether it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing or a... I did find the dive bar there, and I went. The dive bar. There's a couple, but I went I went to all of them. Okay, good. I did. Yeah. Covered all the bases. Yeah, I did cover all the bases. We went to the Green Door, which was a lot of fun. Okay. It's like in the middle of nowhere, just... You know, there's a bunch of motorcycles in the front, and it's like a little diving bar, and they, you know, serve you rum and cokes and shit. Cool. That was cool. So, if before we were talking about the Culinary Institute of America and, you know, what that experience was, Napa as a food and wine destination, were there things that you took away from it? Obviously, it's it's a different place. It's a different geography. It's different produce. It's different everything. But were there things to take away from, this was my experience in Napa, what can Miami learn from a market that has been in that position dining wise for so long? I, I, I really think that since the markets are so different, there's very little Miami can do that's anything similar. Okay. Even from like a service side? Because um, that's a that's a big part of it. Too. And I think maybe that's the biggest part of it. Well, I mean, I think that there's there's rooms in Miami that can be more like the rooms in Napa. You know, what I mean, room is like the operation and the service and the food and so on and so forth. The problem is like, what are Miami's goals and what are Napa's goals? And, and by the way, I even mean like infrastructurally, marketing wise. Yeah, just talking about like overall. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, I think the goals of Napa Valley and the goals of a lot of 97.9% of Miami are very different. Okay. You know, like, is your goal to just be one of the best in the world or country or is your goal just to make a fuckload of money and i think that the goals are very different i think that the people in napa make a fuckload of money but they make a fuckload of money because they've created this small community that everything is just like the super super high-end dining situation that you will find in the country i feel like it's such a special thing that they've created from a dining perspective it's hard to replicate yeah do I think that we we can learn a lot from that, from the service, from the food, from the approach? Yes. Do I think that they have a lot of things at their disposal that we will never have? Absolutely. The terroir there, the produce there, what grows there, we just don't have that. What we grow here is very different. But I think that the level of excellence and professionalism that they take to the table can be replicated. And the problem is, is that it starts at the top. It starts from the ownership level. Is that what you want? If that's what you want, you can do it. You just got to spend the money to do it. And you have to believe in that. And that's what you want to do. And I think in Napa, they're like, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. We don't give a fuck. We're going all in on this thing. And they do it. You know? Um, And if you're good enough, people will go. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. We're going to talk about the other elephant in the room or no? What's the elephant? I mean, Michelin announcing that they're coming to Miami? That might be a, its own thing. Oh, man. I don't know that I'm necessarily the person that that conversation is most interesting with. Yeah, but I think I... If you I, got things to say, go ahead. But, I mean, I, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if it'll be much of a discussion. But if you got things that you want to say... Well... Sure. Uh, like, we're, we're flying... We're on the flight... Somehow, I like had internet for like five minutes more in the middle of the year. I don't know how that happened, but I did. 
and I get a text from somebody with the article saying that Michelin announces that they're coming to Miami. Right. Not a shock. To me, it's not a shock. Right. To a lot of people, it was a shock. I've been saying it for a year and a half that they're coming to Miami. But a lot of people, I mean, I think the sample size of a lot is small in comparison to the people that told me that would never happen. I think it would out to me. I think it would the number would be like fifty to one. People said that it would never happen, and then one that said it would happen. Okay. I think just more of the circles that we the people that we communicate Maybe. with are more the people that believe that we deserve the thing. I wasn't even thinking in terms of deserving. Yeah. Well that's usually where it comes down to. Because I've heard arguments to me, the most compelling arguments for why Miami would end up with the guide had nothing to do with whether Miami deserved it. What are the arguments that you've heard? So, um, one of them being, and this made a lot of sense to me just from a publishing standpoint. Sure. Just uh, it being a, a money play. Sure. That they needed to move into other markets. And Absolutely. that there was, uh, that Miami was one of the ones that they weren't already in that made sense. Also the market that's been open the longest during this very fucked up year and a half. Right. Correct. Um, and, uh, but the reason why I say didn't necessarily lined up, like, not because there were other markets that deserved it more, but just um, from the standpoint of like, you know, and having been at a, at a, at a publication that, that rated and ranked things before oh, yeah. in cigars. Yep. Snap. The, the, yeah, the, the minute that you commit to making some kind of a rating or ranking thing, you have to have a certain number of things at the top end. Right. There's a certain amount of like grading on a curve. A little bit. Sure. Not necessarily to the point of some kind of dishonesty, but everything is relative, right? So the but the question becomes when all of these things are separate guides, does Miami have the number of three star restaurants by other markets standards that would justify the publication of a guide? I heard a lot of people making the arguments that no, that many three-star restaurants don't exist. Yes, they're going to do a guide here. And what that means is some restaurants are going to get three stars that if they existed in other markets would not get three stars. I don't think we have any three-star restaurants. So that's... Yeah, but I think for the first year, you don't... I mean, <coughs> DC didn't get any three stars their first year. Okay. I, I just don't... Like, I think to get three stars is... Real hard. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I I don't think that we're, as a city, we're there yet. I do think that there's one and two stars, and I think that there's plenty. Sure. Um, plenty is a strong word, but I think that there's there's a good amount. Um, yeah, I mean, I got this text in the middle of the air. Not sure how it happened. Automatically, my anxiety went to, like, full tilt. I automatically spent the 25 bucks to get internet so I could then text the people that needed to be text to be just like, you know, I've been sitting in meetings for a year and a half to almost two years saying that these are the standards that we live by, whether they come or not, this is what we do. And this is who we are. If we never get one, we never get one because they're not here, but this is the standards that we have. And now they're coming, you know, like this was it. Yeah. This was the whole thing. I mean, you know, like I wanted to get on a return flight and come right back. Like absolutely turn right the fuck around. Um, But I do have a lot of faith in the people that we have and they hold down the ship extremely well. So it's not like my anxiety is mine and I create it on my own. 
Correct. But it was, I think it's going to be an interesting time. I think um, whenever they do rate, when that happens, I don't know. It's going to be a heavy time period. Mm-hmm. You know, for the people that, you know, are blessed with the fact that they get stars or not get them. Um, you know, I, I think this is an opportunity for Miami to really start taking itself very seriously when it comes to dining. And I think that a lot of people already do, but I think a lot of people don't also. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens. And, you know, like, there's a lot of talk about, like, the pay-for-play thing. They're a business just like anybody else. I mean, the, the way the way that their thing works, there's still finances attached to it. And for any city that pays for them to come rate them, right, that's going to do nothing but make the city a lot more money. So, like, I've heard some talk of, like, well, you know, we paid for the thing. L.A. paid for it also. You know, I mean, a lot of people have paid for it. And Michelin wants to be in these markets. You know, it's good for them to be in these markets. It's good for them to break into this market. And I think we should be very happy that they're here. Um, I've just heard a lot about, like, the, you know, but we paid them to come. I mean, they're a business. But when people say, but we paid them to come, what is, what is it that they're arguing? That it's pay for play. And I, it's, is, is, is the issue that they're saying that that delegitimizes the guide or are they griping with whether that kind of money should have been spent by governments to bring the guide? Maybe both. Because I'm more, I, I'm, I'm more sympathetic to the second one. Which is what? I'm sorry. The, the, you know, the idea that, uh, and, and I, I don't know enough, right? Sure. So by sympathetic, I just mean like, I don't immediately discount it. Uh, but when I hear government paid sure. for this thing to happen because of the return, it's not just because it's the Michelin Guide. I it's the same people who are funding stadiums. And- oh no! Well, that, I guess funding stadiums is a good way to put it because they're always like, well, they spent all that money on like the Marlin Stadium. You know, I don't see it identically the same, but I do understand that standpoint. Right. But for me, you know, you got to spend money to make money. I mean, that's the reality of it. And I think the city stands, from a tourism aspect, stands to make a lot of money. Because now you have nothing but attractions, beaches, things, history. And now you have Michelin stars, too, attached to your dining scene. I mean, the tourism in Miami could skyrocket. I mean, it's not like it's bad. It's already great. Right. It could just... That's the thing is that I, I, I it's, the type, the, it's the type of tourism now that you're talking about. Yeah. Right? I just wonder what whether if you want to get that return, what, you know, what, what the return has to look like for it to justify the investment. If you want to, sure. If you want to, but it's also like what you want your city to represent too, right? Because if you want to steer away from marketing to spring breakers that destroy your city, maybe market yourself to people that spend a lot more money at fine dining restaurants sure. or restaurants yeah. in general. I think it's also, you could also have that stance, you know? So, it all depends how you market the city, right? And how you want, what kind of people you want to attract to your city. I think a lot of that has something to do with it, too. Yeah. So, there's just, there's obviously, even for you, there's got to be a number where it would be like, okay, that's too much money. 
And I just don't know what that number is. So sure, I just I, I'm also like maybe this is me being selfish, but I think the city has spent lots of money and shit that doesn't really matter. And now I think this is something that matters to me specifically. Yeah. I just th- so, to, to me the answer would be okay, then don't spend money on that rather than continue to spend money on that and also spend money on something else. Well, yeah, I mean I don't agree with that, but you know when it comes to politics, small victories are better than none. Yeah, I just like this is part of why I said, uh, and, and I'm qualifying everything with like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but it wouldn't be much of a discussion because I I don't know enough to know whether from a tax and tax spend perspective, sure. it's but be, it's better that the guy be here than not be here. Right. I just don't know whether from a tax money perspective, I, I don't have a position on whether the it makes sense in terms of what the return would be or whatever. I think I'll tell you from a selfish standpoint. Like, one of my lifelong goals is for Area 21 Mission to start. Right. Yeah. Lifelong goals. I mean, I know we've only been for <coughs> six years in January, but, you know, like, that's a dream. It's a selfish goal, and I'm totally okay with having some selfish goals. Do you know what the, what, do you know what the number is? Uh, it's in some article that Carlos wrote. But, like, ballpark. 150 grand. That's what was spent to bring the guy here? Yeah. So, here's... I'm of two minds here, if that if that's the number, yeah. right? On the one hand, it doesn't seem like a lot. 150 grand. I think it's per city though, so it's like 150 grand here, 150 Times grand three. Tampa, 150 grand Orlando. I think there's an article. It I still didn't, doesn't I didn't sound, pay the paywall. It still doesn't sound like a ton, if that's the number. Yeah. However, because it doesn't sound like a ton, I also think. And I don't know enough about what this looks like in the state of Florida or in these cities. Sure. But it doesn't sound like so much that some kind of restaurant association couldn't pool money from its members to pay them that without having without roping taxpayers into paying. Oh, but it's also like you think about there was just like a maybe I had had like a couple drinks maybe and I responded to a tweet. Okay, great. <laughs> and um, you know my my question was. We've never asked how much money I saw that. Yeah, they've spent on marketing for Miami Spice, but they should have. What do you mean? They should have asked. Yeah, no, I mean I agree. Right. I, would, like, I, would I would love to. I would love to know. I don't think those two. If they're two wrongs, I don't think that they necessarily make a right. I don't. I don't think that they're both wrong. What I'm saying is, is that again, we're we're putting the us our tax dollars are going into promoting essentially the dollar menu of restaurants instead of elevating what our Dining scene. Sounds like you think it's wrong. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I, all I'm saying is is that if we spent money on that, then why don't we spend money on elevating? If we think we're good enough, if they think, if the government thinks that we're good enough as a city, which, you know, I, maybe now they believe it, put money where your mouth is. And, like, the, I, I think that there's plenty of people here that can represent that. So, yeah. That's really, and you know, uh, what was the response to that tweet? I don't think those two are exactly the same. I forget. This was Carlos Frias. Yes. And I mean, it was a public thing. So. Right. All, all I'm saying is that you're still spending money. So that's why it's still the same to me. You're still spending money on something. No, I, I, I agree with your argument that, uh, or at least in the sense of like, they're analogous. They're, one thing is. Right. I mean, we're spending tax dollars on a thing. You know, like, so, okay, no one's ever asked how much money we're spending on that thing, so let's find out. 
Right. You know, and uh, I think his argument was like they paid Pitbull like $1 million for something. I, I don't even know what it, what that was, but... I don't know if I saw the Pitbull thing. Yeah, something like that. Just, you know, go get your money, Pit. Do your thing, you know. Uh, I'm just saying, it's like the uh, the government spends a lot of money in a lot of places, and I think this is one thing that's definitely going to benefit the city, you know. Sure. In a lot of ways, people feel like Miami Spice benefited the city, and I'm sure at, maybe at one time and in some places it did, but I don't think that that was equally... Um, beneficial to everyone. I think that now, since there's a goal to reach for several people, several people will take this more seriously. Instead right. of just saying, I'm going to open a restaurant to open a restaurant. Right. You open a restaurant with a goal. Because, you know, stars are restaurant awards. And this is really what I enjoy about them. It's not like Michael Beltran's winning a mission. <coughs> it's that right. area is on a journey to fight for a Michelin star. Yeah, you could have multiple restaurants and have them get different numbers of stars. And I can open, a restaurant. I can open up a restaurant somewhere else, and that star does not travel with me. Right. I would, have to, I would have to earn it elsewhere, just like you earn it anywhere else. If you win a James Beard Award, which is a great award, and that's super cool, that chef takes that James Beard Award wherever the fuck he goes. So it is a singular human being taking an award with him when it takes a team to win it. And I think that that's the reality. Yep. To me, that's why I, I enjoy this award, and I, I, you know, that's why that's our goal. Not only that, but I mean, and I think this is, you know, more from uh, from the diner perspective, right? To the extent that a chef is getting an award, do I give a fuck as a diner unless it's affecting or says something about the experience I'm going to have eating his food? And at that point, that I'm experiencing the restaurant. You're not sitting at my table eating with me. Right. I'm experiencing the restaurant, so the the restaurant award makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, just to understand the impact that a star could have, right? We had a diner today at Ariette was traveling from elsewhere. This person uh, was dining alone and heard about us and heard about the Michelin thing and that, you know, that there's conversation around it and that that's like what our goals are or whatever. This human being eats a uh, tasting menu alone. And then on the check, when this person leaves, um, has her food, whatever, signs a check, and at the bottom it says, I can't wait to see the Michelin star on your wall. You guys are wonderful. That's the kind of impact that it has. This is a single diner from out of town yeah. that does not know me at all, yeah. which is great, and comes to area because understands that it's in the conversation. Yeah, over speculation about maybe there being a star, not even... Right. Travels from somewhere deep in South Beach, takes an Uber ride that I'm sure was 40 bucks to come dine at our restaurant in Coconut Grove, and has a great meal, and then leaves. Yeah. That, to me, is what it's about. And that to me is what like, you know, there's a lot of reasons too, like the why area is so special to me because like we put it together with a box of rocks and it's like been very difficult forever. Uh, and to see it even in the conversation means a ton. And then for the aspect of like the possibility to win one is massive yep. for me because it's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it all comes back to. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Yeah. So... Anyways, right. um, 
You got any parting recommendations? Man, I do. Okay. So I'm watching a show on HBO, Secession. I've heard of it. Very good. I'm currently in season two. I've just, like, destroyed season one, like, in a week. Right? And I'm not, like, a big TV watcher. Okay. Usually TV is just, like, background noise to fall asleep. Um... But I have, like, destroyed the whole first season and half of the second season, and it is really, really good. So, basically, like, a family, multi-billionaire family, owns, like, cable news networks. A lot of politics are in the show and shit. Um, but it's, it's pretty fascinating. I enjoy it. Uh, I also just had lunch at Clive's Cafe. I've been dying to go. I haven't, I've never been, and it's been like on my to-do list forever. Great. I had lunch with Danny Surfer, uh, Pankum Podcast Hall of Famer. That's right. The Danny. Dominic Wilkins of Pankum Podcast right. Hall of Famer. Right. He, um, you know, he talked to me more about yo-yos. That's great. While we were at lunch, we had a, a long Monday, <laughs> Monday lunch at Clive's, um, and that was, that was great. And I had the oxtail. He had the goat. And they were both delicious. Um, I think those are both of my party recommendations. Cool. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm going to recommend... Uh, oh. Two, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Totally. Uh, this has to go back to Napa. But I had an espresso at Ritual Coffee. Right? And they had a seasonal blend. I have it here. Hold on, because I don't remember any. Cuadecide is getting a little free ad space from us. This is us uh, giving back to Cuba. They're getting uh, all the love they deserve. That's right. So they gave us some talking points here. I'm going to read them. But yeah. we're going to do a little bit of riffing. All right, yeah, cool. You read them, though. Did you know, Michael... That the last free and fair elections in Cuba were held more than 70 years ago? That's one of the least shocking statements I've ever heard. Too many years. Yeah. Cuba wants to change. Cubans deserve to be free citizens with equal opportunities for all. Cuba Decide is a citizen initiative that is working toward a prosperous and happy Cuba where all citizens are equal under the law and have equal access to opportunities for improvement, a democracy in which our right to choose and be chosen is respected. Mike, you, we had Rosa Maria Payá, uh, founder of Cuba Decide, on the podcast. Um, you know, and, and it's a topic, obviously, that uh, is, is important to the two of us. And you had a lot to say about um, how the being denied those rights all this time plays into your mission uh, sure. with Ariette and Chugs. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the fact that we haven't as I think a community, as a culture, as being Cubans and Cuban-Americans, the fact that we haven't had an opportunity to grow, haven't had the opportunity to progress and to be really who we are, has really shaped a lot of what I decided to like my personal mission to be. And meeting people like Rosa Maria and like several others like her in this process have nothing but uh, solidified that, that goal for me. And to know that I think one thing I think it, it also happens a lot in our like in our age group, um, feeling like you're alone in that process, feeling like that you 
you're the only one that kind of feels, uh, I guess, a sense of being lost um, because you don't really know where you came from, why you're here, all those things. But in reality, there's other people living the same kind of life and not only living that life, fighting to change right. what history has um, but just kind of made it to be so, right? Because right. it's like 70 plus years without free election. After a while, people just forget that there was ever a free election and that things should be a certain way. And there's other people fighting that fight to make sure that this doesn't stay that way. Right. So like you said, there are people who are fighting to make sure that it doesn't stay that way. And that's one of the kind of, uh, not a paradox, but one of the contradictions, right, that we've been shaped by this reality that none of us want to see continue. Right. Uh, so Cuba is a wide initiative that includes Cubans on the island and around the world, along with international friends who together work tirelessly to achieve a peaceful change. They fight for a democratic Cuba and are closer than ever to achieving that goal. So what's the strategy? It's the peaceful mobilization of Cubans and the international community putting pressure so that the people can live in a democratic system and be free. You can follow Cuba Decide. That's Cuba Decide. It means Cuba decides in, in Spanish. Cuba Decide in all social media platforms at Cuba Decide. That's Cuba, D-E-C-I-D-E, Cuba Decide, Cuba Decide. To learn more or join Cuba Decide and donate at cubadecide.org slash donations. The funds raised go to train promoters, recharge cell phones, meaning uh, to keep cell phones active and connected to the Internet, uh, produce promotional materials on the island, generate international support, and much more. So go to cubadecide.org slash donations. If you put Pan Kong Podcast in the memo field in the, dona in the donations, that will signal to them that that money should go to keeping phones in Cuba connected to uh, the Internet. Brought to you by Pig Ink Apparel. Pig Ink Apparel was started in 2012. 2012. Okay. It's, it's a, that's an actual statement. It was started in okay. 2012. Um, I was sitting at a bar having a drink, and then I drew this like logo very poorly on a napkin, and I drew a name on a napkin. And the entire purpose of uh, starting this apparel line uh, was because when my family came here from Cuba, the uh, what sustained them financially was making clothes. Okay. So my grandmother, she's a G and like a super hustler. And she got on consignment like a thousand yards of jean. And she bought, she made a deal with a friend. Uh, her and my grand, grandfather made a deal with a friend to like pay off the sewing machine. And then they put it in their house. And my uh, aunt, uncle, and mother with my grandparents started sewing jeans. And then they started selling said jeans. And then from that company, um, my grandmother started a company with my father called H&D Fashions. And we did textiles forever, um, 25 plus years until sadly the company closed. We had um, two factories in the Dominican Republic and one here in Miami. And that's really what sustained my like childhood. I grew up in, um, in clothing factories my entire life. You know, like, it's a very interesting place to be in. It's like these weird, like, gigantic shelves of just huge rolls of fabric. And then these gigantic uh, tables of uh, ladies cutting 
shirts and then going from one place to the next and then going all the way down this like conveyor belt to like the ones that would sew it and then they would sew it and then they would print it and they would do the whole thing. And it's just like what I grew up with. So it was a small thing that in 2012, uh, which I had no business doing because I had like zero money to actually make it like an actual thing. Um, I was like, you know, I just want to come up with some like cool designs that are lifestyle, food oriented, chef oriented that aren't so chachi. And um, you see a lot of the chachi food stuff like uh, your radishes are wild. Like we, we don't do stuff like that. So, you know, we're making like a hard comeback. Our um, um, my partners and I have decided to reinvigorate the brand and bring it back. Our logo lives on within our hospitality company and uh, obviously through the merchandise line. And we just dropped our website within the last three weeks and we have some great designs that some local guys helped me do um they're all i think super dope and you know it ranges everything from like work shirts um when i say work shirts it's actually the shirts that my staff wears to work to you know cooler designs and nicer fabrics and nicer shirts that you can wear out and kind of like hang out in for mm-hmm. the day but you know, Pig Ink has always been like a passion project for me. Um, it's always been something that's never been for money or whatever. It's more of just like the story, and I think it's cool, and I think it's fun. And um, there's a way to help people within the process, too. And I think that, you know, what we're doing with Cuba and what we've done with other people in the past and probably what we'll continue to do in the future with donating to charities and um Overall, I, I think it's I think it's a cool thing. Good shit. So when pigs fly, mia.com, that's where you get all of that stuff. Do you have like a personal favorite item? If you could only have one, I honestly you only have one for yourself. I I mean I think it's because I'm super biased because I love the original Ariette shirt. So the new shirt that we're dropping for, um, you know, cool to see this probably my favorite one that I wear the most. Um. So I think that that's super dope. Um, the Reservoir Pigs one is, like, very cool, too. I'm a big fan of the hats, like the beanie I'm wearing right now. Um, you know, I like very simple, like, yeah. designs. So I don't, like, there's, it's never going to be a lot of lot of things happening. It's usually pretty simple. But, yeah, I would say those are my favorite things. The dad hats are my favorite. Like, the khaki, okay. the khaki dad hat is, khaki like, hat. is... Super dope. Yeah. Um, the jersey has been in a rap video. Yeah. I mean, the jersey is so very that. cool. The the area jersey, the Chugs varsity jacket is also very dope. Um, there's really not many of those, but uh, they will be going to reprint soon. So, you know, I mean, it's really like, I feel terrible saying this, but it's like pretty much everything I wear every day. So I like them all. Right. Yeah. All right. WhenPigsFlyMIA.com. That's it. Go buy some shit. Go give Mike all your money. Yeah, all of it. Very good. Yep. I, I obviously have, I like coffee a lot and I go wherever I can. And usually when I'm out of town and I'm at a coffee place I'm, I haven't been to, I just have like a shot of espresso, you know, because yeah. I really want to know what their coffee game is like. So I had their seasonal blend, seasonal espresso. It's called Bay Dreamer. You can see here the Bay, Bay Dreamer. Dreamer. There you go. It's got a whale on it. Uh, and <laughs> it's got a whale on 
lot. It does have a whale on it. And it's got notes of toasted almond, cranberry, and dark chocolate. Fall 2021. This espresso is fucking <clears throat> phenomenal. Really, really delicious. Um, I found it uh, just like incredible. Really good. I also, um, in this, like they had this little like food market thing, which had ritual coffee and it had hog island, hog island oyster and some other shit. And then right next to it, I had this place called the fatted calf, which is all charcuterie stuff. Yep. And me and Manny just bought like a bunch of charcuterie stuff and like crackers and like pickles and shit. I mean, I, it was all delicious, all really fucking good. Um, so those are like my very loaded partying recommendations. Got it. Yeah. Also, okay. Next to the fatted calf is a place called Model Bakery. Okay. Which had a really, really amazing um, English muffin. I'm, my phone is up again, making note of all the places that you're saying. Yeah. Model Bakery. Mm-hmm. Noted. Yeah, noted. Saved. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a very jam-packed Google Maps. I don't know if you use Google Maps like want to go feature. No. Yeah. I have a lot of green flags all over my Google Maps. You better get on it. Yeah. I'm never going to get to a wall. Well, you never know. Yeah, I know. You can win the lotto and just say fuck it all, and then no. Even if I had on the podcast, will end. That's true. Popcorn podcast will end. Um, between two malangas will be one episode deep. Between two malangas. Yeah. Um, so I'm recommending two things. Uh, one is a food media thing. You might have seen this in my Instagram stories recently. I have probably recommended him before. Yes. The yes. report of the week. Welcome one and all to this newest edition of the Running on Empty Food Review Series. I'm your host, the Report of the Week. Thank you for being here. If you are not subscribed to the Report of the Week on YouTube, you're doing it wrong. Um, If you want to know anything about fast food, the Report of the Week is where it's at. I love everything from his honest takes to his long, creepy fingers, um, his weird haircut, and his crazy suits. Um, the last video that I saw was him reviewing what apparently is like a new steak burrito from Taco Bell. This is going to be groundbreaking, probably in the metaphorical sense, but possibly in the literal sense. How was it? Did he rate it well? He thought it was, you know, pretty good for what it was. Maybe a little overpriced, but in today's economy, you know, maybe you adjust and it makes sense. I'll make an effort. There was steak in every bite. Oh, I love According that. According to him, mm-hmm. you know, it's Taco Bell steak, but it yeah. was steak. You know, they didn't skimp. Uh, so he, he made it seem like it was on the better end of Taco Bell experiences. I have another uh, another party, party recommendation. Okay, go for no, it. You, you oh, also, yeah, my, my other one is if you are a Spanish speaker or just enjoy rap in Spanish, uh, Barabaro El Urbano. Uh, he is uh, no longer in Cuba. Uh, he was for a while. And a lot of the stuff that you'd find on, like, I listen on Google Music, but if, I'm sure he's on Spotify and all that. Um, he has gotten a little bit bigger internationally now because he's, um, uh, oh God, what is, there's like a new video game. I'm not a video game person, but it's like a, a first person shooter game that like part of it takes place on some like Caribbean island. I don't, sure. I don't think it's Cuba. But like when you're in a car, his is one of the songs that plays. It's called Fuck You. Um, oh. And it's, 
great. I posted the chorus recently. Right. We watched it when I fell asleep at your house. Isn't that the guy? Wasn't that the, sh- the, the thing I fell asleep to? No, no, no. You're thinking, no. You're thinking of Medigo. Oh, right. With Chupa Chupa <laughs> and Ping Pong. No, Medigo is a different thing. I'm not recommending a Medigo other than for comedy purposes. Barbaro Bano is actually really good. Cool. Um, uh, and the chorus of Fuck You is, I think... Maybe just recency bias because I've been playing it so much lately, but like one of my favorite rap choruses of all the time, in part because it samples a viral Cuban cartoon where a little girl, uh, you might have, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. The, a little bit of a digression, but the cartoon is like a little boy and a little girl, super Cuban, arguing, and they're like boyfriend, girlfriend, and he's talking about how he's like, well, I'm going to leave you because this other girl likes me more. And her response is, hey, esa pinga? Está bien, entonces me voy. Vete. Y si tú no quieres ser más mi novia, yo me quedo con Denise, que ella sí me quiere. Y anoche me dio un beso y me dijo que estaba enamorada de mí. Hey, esa pinga. <laughs> and so he uses that in the chorus of the song. It's fucking great. Pepa la tumba de tu pai, dile que se despierte. Que rabo vio nacer en Marianao y está muy fuerte. Dile que se jodan, los que tengan que joderse. Esto se hizo pa' pensar y no pa' moverse. Yo soy de otro planeta, mírame la pinta. Que tú eres mejor que yo. Ey, esa pinga. Repítelo de nuevo. Ey, esa pinga. Nada de lo que hagan me envase que yo me rinda. Chet, money, money, chet, chet, pa'l silencio. Chet, chet, que se vendan los que tengan precio. Uh, so anyway, Bárbaro el Urbano. Uh, fuck you, and also the protest song that's more relevant to uh, all this protest stuff. It's got a song called "Recarga al Machete," which is fucking great too. So, well, we just won a Latin Grammy today, right? That's right for Padre Vida. That's right. Yeah, the song that one of my prouder moments on the podcast, at least, that it's on the record that this podcast informed Lucy Lopez of the existence of the song that ended up winning. Latin Grammy for no, and she's like uh, music royalty. I know, yeah. And she knows everything. This is where people come to learn about this shit. I mean, a lot of people come to Banco Podcast <laughs> to learn uh, to get woke. That's right. They get to get, get uh, woke between two malangas. <laughs> that could be the name of the show. Get woke. Yeah. Between two malangas. That's so good. Oh, this man. podcast. This podcast name is presented like by Banco Podcast. Presented by Banco Podcast. Yeah. Brought to you by Dane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> film that Pig Inc. headquarters <laughs> at Pig Inc.'s Monopoly Studios yeah <laughs> Monopoly Studios oh man uh, you had a recommendation yeah when we when I came back from Napa we um, we had scheduled to go visit a new farm that we're using <clears throat> tiny farm it is th- quite the tiny farm it's very small it's cool. only an acre and a half but it's uh, they have like some really amazing stuff that they're doing at Homestead and um, Manny, uh, my chef's cuisine, lives like down the street from there. So uh, after I took everyone to lunch and it was called Taqueria Morelia. Okay. I know of it. I haven't been. Delicious. The, the tripe tacos, so good. Yeah. Um, I got lengua and tripe and I enjoyed the tripe more. It's like crispy, creamy tripe. Really, really delicious. Um you know, and everyone had a good time. I think that was like a good, if you're ever in Homestead, Taqueria, Morelia. And they just, one of the things I love the most is that they had this like in the middle of the dining room, this like low boy, you know, low boy is like what we cook out of with all the condiments. I love that. 
cool. Just like pick your own condiments, ramekin them up, take them to your table. Because they just give you the taco with stuff in it. Yeah. You build it. What, however you want to build that thing is up to you. But like that, um, the condiment, low boy was my favorite part. Nice. Yeah, it was good. Uh, <clears throat> shameless plugs. All the things. All the things. Finally, datemag.com slash podcast. You can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash datemag, D-A-D-E-M-A-G. Uh, social media, Pancom Podcast on all the things. That's P-A-N-C-O-N Podcast. And uh, if you want to advertise with us, ads at datemag.com. Slots, shockingly, are starting to fill up for 2022. Fuck. It only took two years. It only took two years and a global pandemic <laughs> <laughs> to, to get to this point. But, oh, uh, but our coffers are going to be on. full now. Oh, man. We're going to have a lot of Morelia field trips yeah, it's in our future. Yeah, it's going to be DuckTales, you know, the part when they're like sliding through all the coins. That's, that's the right. The Pancom podcast coffers of that's gold right. coins. Did you ever see the, the clip from Family Guy where he dives into a pool of uh, coins? No. He like goes off a diving board and dives into the pool of coins and then he falls and he breaks like five bones and he's bleeding all over the place. It's oh. not like water at all. Yeah, not. Um, it sounds kind of rough, but yeah. still, it's a good idea. It's a, a good nice, visual. Yeah, it's a good visual. Yeah, you want to do more like Cash Angels. Like you know, so. cash, cash Angels are good. <laughs> Something yeah. else, another, uh, just because it's been a while since we recorded. I also sure. watched the new Dune. I've heard good things. Very good. I never read the book or anything, though. So. Yeah, I mean, but I watched the original. Um, I didn't read the book either, but it was very good. Better than the original movie. Yeah, I mean, obviously, technology has put them in a place that they can make it so much more, like, grand. Yeah. You know, and, like, impressive. But That's was, what I heard that was good about it. Like especially no, the movie, the movie is great. Like, well, that's what I've heard comment on the most is just that it's visually impressive and that they do a good job of conveying the bigness of it. <laughs> the it's bigly, bigly, yeah, huge, huge. Dune was huge. Well, and I heard it contrasted, for example, with um, the Marvel movie, The Eternals. I I haven't seen that yet. So supposedly well, that's not on HBO Max. That's why I have not seen it. So supposedly, like. Based on what the comics are like, the Eternals should also be something that feels big. Bigly. That feels bigly. Sure. Uh, But that doesn't pull it off the way Dune does. So, for whatever that's worth, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I enjoyed it. I watched it, you know, twice pretty much. It was really good. I mean, it's, as a sci-fi guy, it's like, and you know, obviously there's a part two, because of course, there needs to be a fucking part two. Go without saying. Yeah. Um. So I'm jacked up for part two. I'm ready to go. Um. There was another show they just said that they were gonna have a second season of that I forgot that was really good. Well, um, this is probably not what you're thinking of, but uh, Heels. Oh, that's it. Actually. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, I I actually haven't dove in completed Heels yet. I I saw the first three episodes. How was it? It was. We've already had Robbie on, so you could be negative if you want. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, I'm not going to say it was better than I thought it would be. It was more interesting to me than I thought it would. I didn't have reason to think it was going to be bad. Right. But because I'm not a pro wrestling person. Oh, yeah. But I will say. You like, didn't watch wrestling when you were a kid? No, I didn't have cable when I was a kid, for one thing. Oh, yeah? And there was some pro wrestling. But cable was, it was like TNT. 
Is that considered yeah, a cable? cable? Yeah, I when, until I was like I always well, thought cable meant that you got like the big channels like no, HBO, Skinamax. No, until I was like well into high school, I just yes. had like CBS, NBC, ABC, UPN, the WB, and the Spanish stuff. Bob Ross. That's what I had. So I didn't have ESPN. I didn't have TNT. I didn't have any of that. Oh yeah, no. My dad. Not watched, my dad. My dad watched a lot of TV, so we had we had all that shit. <clears throat> I watched a lot of TV too, but I was watching all like the primetime sitcoms. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched. Um, uh, I remember watching Sunday Morning every Sunday. What um, the fuck is that? <laughs> it's it's CBS's like Sunday Morning News Magazine thing. It's right. good. So anyway, but no, I didn't watch um, any cable news, whatever. So. Um, my point is, I was never a pro wrestling person. And if you're not a pro wrestling person, and you think that's why you wouldn't be into the show, I would say, don't let that stop you from watching it. It's really more of like a <coughs> small town business drama. So this, the, the it's, it's a small town's pro wrestling promotion. And the whole thing is like the drama that, it, it could have been about restaurants, it could have been about whatever. Yeah. And like this brother, uh, older brother, younger brother thing where like one of them is committed to the family business and the other one wants to like break out and do bigger promotions and, um, you know, keeping the business alive in the small town where it's everybody's only entertainment. I have a funny story. Okay. Uh, I dated a girl in college, small town. Uh, they had a small town wrestling promotion, right? Uh, and I dated her for a while. She left me. For the the biggest ticket name on the small oh, town wrestling promotion. Nice. Do you remember what his name was? No, I don't even really remember what her name was. Um, but yeah, yeah, I remember that. The small town, like wrestling in small towns, is like fucking huge. Yeah, because they got like nothing else. Well, that's basically what the show's about. Yeah, like there's there's like nothing else going on there. You know, like they they go to like minor league baseball games. Yeah. You know, from growing up in Miami, you're just kind of like, well, why? Right. <laughs> but why are you going to do that? Although what's funny, though, is like now, I don't know whether you feel this way, but now as an adult, uh, I kind of get it. Like the idea of having a quirky minor league baseball team to go see sounds like a lot of fun. I wouldn't want to live in the small town. Sure, no. But if we had like the equivalent of a small town minor league team, I could see that being a good time. What? Well, how big was the town that you lived in in college? Um, that's a good question. I always forget what the population numbers were. I mean, was it like big? Was it medium? Was it small? <coughs> I mean, think like. Was it Kendall? Was it Westchester? No, like think Gainesville, but half the size. Half the size of Gainesville. I mean, the university was, at the time that I was there, I want to say it was like not even getting to 30,000 students. Mm-hmm. So Gainesville, I think, is bigger. Right. And the town around it is definitely bigger than Columbia, Missouri. Yeah, I mean, the town that I went to college in was like, you know, the size of, uh, uh, it was small. Yeah. It was like, it was real boring. It's just tough to gauge because all these places are, there is also not much of a city center, right? So you're... Talking about like a lot of sprawl in every direction. So it's tough for me to, but it was not Gainesville size. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you you couldn't live in a small town? I could. I'm just saying I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't move to a small town so that I could have a minor league team. I would rather be here. Got it. 
I, if I had to live in a small town for some reason, I would, but it. it's not like an aspiration. Got it. Totally understand. Totally get it. I never want to live in a small town. Totally good being in Miami. Yeah. If I had some compelling reason to do that, then... What's a compelling reason? Like, if I were married to somebody whose job took them to a small town, mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't bitch about it. Mm-hmm. I could make that work. Sure. But that's not the situation. I'm but in. would Petey be okay with it? Petey's okay with anything. I mean, I moved to Madison for somebody. I was in Madison, Wisconsin for three years because of the relationship I was in at the time. Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is not a small town. It's a small city. Sure. It never felt small. It actually feels a lot bigger than it is. Wow, we've really gone off the rails here, and I love it. Yeah. I love this everything. This is post-plugs. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. This is really good. So, have you ever been to Wisconsin? No. You would like it. Wisconsin? Yeah. I would say if you There's ever a lot find of cheese there, a lot of cheese, a lot of sausage, a lot of beer. <coughs> well, um, that sounds good. That if, sounds nice. If you ever it find sounds yourself, like really cholesterol heavy. I'm gonna say if you ever find yourself with a long weekend mm-hmm. or like an opportunity to get away for a little bit to go to Wisconsin, huh? And you find a long cheap, weekend. If you find a cheap ticket, sure, for a couple days in Madison, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. take it and just yeah. go and eat and drink. Right now, my goal, long weekend trip, uh, I'm trying to. I want to put a pork dish back on the area menu, but I really want to source like some of the best pork in the country. So uh, through some friends, I've located this one farm in the middle of Shenandoah Valley, which funny enough is where I used to live. And I mean, their product looks incredible. So I'm considering flying out there to go visit the farm cool, to spend a couple days. So then we could start carrying their product. That's like, and the, 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 the trip is so cheap. Yeah, it's like $95 round oh, trip. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like crazy. Speaking of uh, short trips to consider taking. Sure. Uh, my sister had her baby recently. Oh, uh, congrats. Which means... Deal. That at some that point... Means, that means uncle. Right. At some point in the not-too-distant future, I will be making my way to Salina. What? So I, th- I think that I think I might drive just as an excuse to make it a I feel like you're going to get, when you <coughs> get off the plane, it's going to be very much like the Beatles have arrived, That's right? That's true. There's going to well, be what signs. I, what I was going to say Malcolm was. podcast, where's PD? Yeah. Like all of it. What I was going to say was I think uh, uh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll keep you posted on dates. Sure. I'll probably drive. I wouldn't ask you to take the time to drive uh, with me. unless. But if. We might be able to work it out where you go to Salina, Kansas, and we finally make that pilgrimage. Man, the pil- pilgrimage yeah. to Salina. We can record and a do, podcast in It Salina. would just be perfect that we do like a little map of you driving and then just me getting on a fucking plane and flying over. Like an animated, like yeah. in a Disney movie kind of whoop. Yeah. You like road like <clears throat> drive, driving road trips? Yeah. Yeah. I um, So I've made it like a personal goal. To build one of these vehicles that I have that's very old. Of course. To be able to drive it across the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. That'd be you cool. know, and like Trent, obviously we've referenced him several times on here, which is my mechanic. And I talk to him a lot. Um, he's willing to make the drive with me, which would be great because I need someone to fix things if they break. Uh, I sure shit can I fix them. Yeah. So um, that is one of my goals. And I, I, I think... You know, it's a bucket listing for me. It's probably not going to happen in the near future. Yeah. Maybe you never know. Yeah, I mean, it's also time. I don't have time to take like three weeks out. That's the thing is if you do that, you want to make a lot of stops and the whole thing. Right. Yeah, the whole thing, it's also like, you know, with those kind of cars, you can't be like going through mountains. 
You right. have to like really spec out like the roads that you're going to be driving yeah. on and shit. So that's uh, I like road trips. I used to drive to Virginia. You know when I lived. When I went to school there, I would drive back and forth like four times a year. Yeah. Because I, I don't mind. And I would always do them alone. And I just don't mind it. I, yeah. I think it's like very soothing. I, I've never been to Napa, but I did a trip starting in San Francisco and drove to Mendocino, which was super cool. And driving around Mendocino was awesome from winery to winery. Uh, so I did this trip and this was, uh, fuck, six, nine... 10 years ago now with my XXX and then her sister and then her cousin. It's a lot of... A lot of people. Right. From San Diego to Napa. Okay. It's quite the trip. Beautiful trip. You know, um, I, I just... I Like, I really enjoy driving. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> uh, I think that was... I just like... The whole idea of a road trip and shit, I, I really do like. It's just like road trips take time. Yeah. You have, you have to have the time to do the road trip because if not, you're just fucking, you're just just trying to get somewhere and you like never really feel like you're enjoying it or whatever. I also have the luxury of not being here doesn't necessarily mean I can't get shit done. Mm. You know. Right. So I could do a whole road trip of half day work. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to do this trip, like, going cross-country or whatever, it's going to, like, I'm going to take a month. Yeah. And I'm just going to go okay. to all these spots and, you know, especially when you're in, like, a 50-year-old car, like, you're you're not going super fast. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's not a rally. Right. It's not a, it's not a rally. It's, it's definitely not. So. All right. Yeah. That's all we got. Is it? Yeah, we did the plugs, we did the recommendations, we, we kind of bounced around a little bit there at the end, but that's it, that's the podcast. Cool. Great, thanks, that's it, we're done, goodbye. Between Two Malangas, brought to you by Pancom Podcast.